So today in part six, I want to talk to you about this, having godly teachers. Having godly teachers. I think we might end up going to, to part eight in this series, but having godly teachers is part six. Um, if you are a teacher of any kind, or you desire to be a teacher, or, or you in, in whatever profession you are, you are training people, you oversee, you, that kind of, if you have any teaching quality on the inside, can you just raise your hand just so and see where all of our teachers are? Okay, good. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, I have some scriptures for you. Romans 12, 7 says this, if your gift is teaching, then teach. Titus 2.8 says this, teach the truth so your teaching can't be criticized. In other words, don't teach um, that your gender can change with the thought of your mind. You know, don't teach evolution. Teach the truth. So you can criticize me very, very well, but you can't criticize what I teach because I teach the word. So when you teach the truth, you can't criticize that. And now this next scripture, James 3.1, I intentionally wanted to put this on the screen after I had all of our volunteers and all of our, our teachers stand up for Faith First Academy. Not many of you should be teachers for those who teach will be judged more strictly. I waited to the end of the series to show you this after we had all of our teachers sign their contracts. And so um, I wasn't looking forward to being judged the first time around, but we're going to be judged more strictly because we're speaking into people's lives. Uh, this, is, this is incredibly important because it, this is why in our short groups we don't have teachers, we have facilitators. Because once you start giving your advice, once you start giving your wisdom, once you start saying, here's what you should do, God immediately takes what you're saying and says, okay, I'm going to judge you more strictly. Because <clears throat> you're telling them how they should live, what they should do, um, your opinion in the matter. You are just like judged more strictly, just like, because you're teaching, you're teaching. And so I have three points for you today. They all start with the letter C, and uh, they're all based on the greatest teacher who ever lived, and his name is... His name is Jesus, the best teacher who ever lived. Let me tell you how great of a teacher he is. They called him teacher 48 times in the Gospels. People followed Jesus to hear him teach in deserted places where there was no food. That's how good he was. That would be the equivalent of you going to Aner to hear Jesus teach. <laughs> there was no food. There was no Walmart. There was, and 20,000 people... That is a huge number for the back in the day. When he fed the 5,000, that was just men. Theologians believed the women and children, they were not counted. 20,000 people followed Jesus where there wasn't any food just to hear him teach. That's how good he was. Uh, Matthew 13, 54 says this. Jesus began teaching people in church. They were amazed. Where did he get this wisdom? Matthew 22, 33, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Have you ever been blown away by the words that came out of somebody's mouth to the point you were like, oh, I can't even believe I'm hearing this. This is amazing. Um, there's another story in John 7. I want to show you the first and the last part of the story. Verse 32 and 45. The chief priests and Pharisees, they sent policemen to arrest Jesus, right? The policemen come back and they say, we couldn't arrest him. They say, why? No one ever spoke like this man does. We've never heard someone teach like this. And with all of my heart, I believe their clothes were soaking wet. And they said, well, why are you wet? And they're like, we got baptized too. I mean, we just couldn't believe he was such a good teacher. We got baptized. Okay, so all three points come from Jesus. And point number one is this. Godly teachers have compassion. They have compassion. Mark 6, 34 says, Jesus saw a huge crowd and he had compassion for them because they were sheep without a shepherd. In other words, no one was teaching them. No one was training them. No one was guiding them. And he had compassion. So here's what he did when he felt compassion. He began teaching them. Here's what I want to teach you. Um, true godly teachers, whether it's in the public school, whether it's secular Bible teachers, they don't teach because they like to hear the sound of their own voice. They teach because they love students. 
They teach because they want people's lives to be changed. They teach because they want kids to grow and mature and learn and have their mind expanded. It's not just because they like hearing themselves teach. And when you look on social media and you see some guy or girl who's, you know, teaching in their home with nobody there, that's all the influence. They're trying to get influence. They don't care about people. They just want to get their voice out. They, they, they don't care about having students. They don't really love people. They just want to hear the sound of their own voice. That's why there's nobody there listening to them teach. But man, a real teacher, they love students. You know, the Pharisees, whenever they taught in the Bible, the religious leaders, um, Jesus had a problem with most of them because they were teaching people rules. You have to follow this. They, they taught because they wanted to force people to do what they wanted them to do. Jesus was all about relationships. When he taught, it was because he wanted people's lives to be better. He wanted their marriages to be better. He wanted them to have peace in their homes. He, Jesus loved sinners. He loved them. And they loved hearing him talk. And he was such a good teacher. He could tell them, you're going to hell if you don't do this. And he's telling them, you know, you have strife and it's going to destroy. He would really, and they loved hearing it. That's how good his vocabulary was. That's how good he was at talking. Remember the story of the rich young ruler, right? Comes to Jesus, how can I get to heaven? There's a line we miss in that story in Mark 10, 21. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. The reason he told him there's something you lack is because he loved this man. And if there's anything I hope that we portray here at Solid Rock is we do what we do because we love people. It's not for the money. It's not because we like to hear our own voice. Sometimes I like to look at myself. But other than that, it's not that. But I, we, we, and that's why, you know, a few weeks ago when I was having my little mental breakdown, I was battling condemnation because I thought, man, they deserve a better pastor. Like, I love y'all so much. I want you to have the best of the best of the best. And that's why we do what we do. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and when you hear an effective communicator, you can tell if they really care about the people they're talking to or if they're just trying to, you know, show how smart they are. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when you in this room, when you think of the, your favorite teachers in the past, okay, the people that, that advise you or guide you, give you opinion, the people you go to and see, it has nothing to do with the subject they taught. It has nothing to do with what you learned. It has to do with how you felt about them and how they felt about you. That's the best memories you have of your teachers in the past. You realize they really liked you. That's why you like that teacher. Um, when I first got out of high school, I immediately started going to college, and I wanted to be a pediatrician. And so I was taking science classes, trying to get a science degree, and I was going to do medicine after that. And um, one of the electives they had was either like French or public speaking. And I thought, well, I don't want to do either one of those. You know, I, I, I don't care about learning another language. Now I wish I had learned another language, especially Portuguese. But, um, but I didn't care about public speaking either. But I thought, ah, I'll do public speaking because everybody said it's an easier class. Man, this, this professor here in town in Myrtle Beach, he loved me. He took me under his wing. I was so nervous the first few times. I thought, man, I'll never, ever do this. Time this, this class is over, I'll never stand up and talk in front of anybody ever again. It's the worst feeling in the world. People are staring at you. You got to come up with things to say. You want to throw up the whole time. And he, he was so kind to me. And I remember the last class, our, our final, was we had to give a eulogy. We had to stand up and we had to give a eulogy, you know, of someone that passed away. And all the other kids in class, they did like, you know, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. or George Washington or, you know, famous people. I gave a eulogy of myself. I said, you know, John Paul was a great guy. He died at 103. 
you know, we're celebrating his life. He leaves behind his supermodel wife. You know, I did a whole, and this was 25 years ago. At home, I have a little safe where I keep special letters that people give me over the years. And I have a letter that he gave me. And I put it up on the screen here. At the top, you can see he says, here's your darn 100. He put that up at the top. And he said this, he said, you and I have done a lot of kidding back and forth. But on a serious note, <clears throat> I want to say you've come a long way from the first day of class. You came out of your shell, you shared up front and straight, you touched basis with your classmates. In short, your communication grew as the class went along and for the better. Well, that is the purpose of the course, not to make you a great public speaker, but to make you an effective communicator. And I thought, man, if this guy could see me now, you know, talking, he's probably in heaven now because he was like 65 years old, or this was 25 years ago, but he poured into me. And I'll never forget that. Now, a few years went by, and I thought, you know, maybe I'll go into ministry. So I took a Bible class. In the Bible class, I'll never forget, it was like the second or third class, and the professor knew that I was, uh, that I was raised in church. That, that, was, that phone wasn't me that time. Uh, the professor knew that I was raised in church. And so I remember one time I needed a, a, an answer, and so I raised my hand. I said, um, I, have a, I have a question for you. And he said, you were raised in church? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, well, you don't need to ask me a question. You should know the answer. I said, but I don't know the answer. He said, you need to figure it out on your own. You know, people like you should know the answers to these questions. I flicked them off, and I walked out of the class, and I never went back again. It wasn't the subject. Bible is a great subject. It was the teacher. He didn't care about me, so I didn't care about his class. Great godly teachers are, are, are very passionate. They have compassion. They love their students. Um, uh, spiritual authority in the Bible, 2 Corinthians 13, 10, is seen as this. The Lord has given me authority, watch, to build you up and not to tear you down. That is true spiritual authority. I read a true story that took place years ago. This high school teacher, her class was being so disorderly, and she was tired. Everybody was worn out. It was a Friday, and she didn't want to deal with it, so she told the kids, she said, put all your books away. I want everybody to pull out a sheet of paper, and I want you to write down the name of every student in the class on the left-hand side of the paper. Next to their name, I want everyone to write one thing you admire about that student. And they all just went to work. Man, they were so excited writing things down and looking around the room. And then they passed their papers in and school was over. Over the weekend, this teacher, she decided to take a piece of paper for every student, write the student's name on top, and write all the comments that all the kids in class made about that student, and then she put her comments below what she really loved about each one of the students. When Monday morning came along, they all came to their class, sat down, she passed out the papers, and electricity filled the room. They could not believe the things on their paper. They would look around. I didn't know they thought I was cute, and I didn't know they knew I was good at math, and I didn't know they thought I was the strongest kid in class, and, you know, all these things. It meant so much. They left school that day so encouraged, so loved, so affirmed. Many years went by. One of those students died in the Vietnam War. The high school teacher from years before and some of the other students attended the funeral. After service, the father of the soldier approached the teacher and said, I want to show you what my son had in his pocket the day that he was killed. And he unfolded the piece of paper that the teacher made with the student's name and all the affirming comments from herself and all the other kids. The father said, my son treasured this piece of paper. 
He brought it with him everywhere he went. Some of the other students from before they heard the conversation and they stepped up and one man said, yeah, I keep mine in the top drawer of my desk at work. I read it all the time. Another lady said, mine is in the front of my wedding album. Another man, while they were standing there, pulled his right out of his pocket, right then and there, read the whole thing. Here's what I'm saying. Compassion is not based on the student's performance. It's based on the teacher's heart. It has nothing to do with how well your students are doing or, or you know, if they're getting good or if they're obedient. It has everything to do with how much you as a teacher love to teach. You know, Jesus handpicked 12 of the rowdiest rednecks that he could possibly find. Peter had a temper. He cussed. He always wanted to be first. Matthew was a tax collector. That meant he was dishonest and crooked and he loved money. Thomas was a doubter. He was negative. Judas, Jesus knew, was going to betray him. Yet the teacher looked his students in the eyes. In Matthew 5.13, he said, You are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You're going to do great things in your future. The teacher spoke words into them because he loved his students. Now, before I get to two and three, and those are quicker points, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think really, really hard. What is the one quality that the person possesses whom you seek advice and wisdom and knowledge from on a regular basis? In other words, when you think back at people who you call for help, or you're having problems in your marriage and you go to this person, or problems at work and you go to this person. When you go to someone to hear their opinion, when you want them to teach you something, when you need advice or counsel or wisdom, or you're hurting or you're confused, and the person that you go to, what is the quality that they possess for the reason that you're going to them. Now, you're going to think, well, I'm, I'm, it's, it's not wisdom. It is not how smart they are, and I'll prove it to you. It has nothing to do with how smart they are. You think, well, whoever has experience. No, no, it's not that. Now, you might sometimes think, well, I need help in this area because they're good at this. But naturally, like without even thinking, the, the, nat the person that you go to, just naturally, without even thinking about it, the one you call, the one you say, I need prayer. What quality is that person? Now, a few weeks ago, I talked to you about authority. Remember, I did a sermon on authority, submitting to authority. Somewhere during that sermon, everyone in the room had this thought. Even if it was just for five seconds, you thought this. You know what? I wish my boss would come to me and ask my opinion. I wish they would ask my advice. If they would just say, what do I think? Then I would show them how smart I am, and I'd show them what I know. I could really fix this place if they'd come. So why doesn't your boss come to you? What quality do you need to possess for people to come to you and ask you, teach me, show me, give, give me your thoughts on this? What is that quality? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read three scriptures, and then I'm going to tell you the answer to what that quality is. Okay, here's three scriptures. Proverbs 18.2 says this. It says, a fool does not care if he understands. You see that word understands. He just wants to give his opinions. So he doesn't want to understand. Proverbs 16.21, the wise are known for their understanding and pleasant words increase learning makes you want to learn more and watch this Proverbs 25 the heart of a man is like deep water but a man of understanding will draw it out so what is the quality that we need to possess for people to come to us and, and ask us to teach them and what quality is that person possess whom we go to it's not how smart they are it's not their experience you know what it is it's someone that loves you enough listen to understand 
things you're going through, to understand what you feel, to understand what you want to accomplish, to understand what's going on inside, to understand what's keeping you up at night, to understand why you're upset, to understand what is going on in your head. When you find somebody that's willing to take the time to understand, you always go to them. That is the quality that every teacher needs to have in life. Whether you're teaching your own children, you're teaching somebody else's, you're teaching adults, you have to be willing. And I think that one of the reasons that we get along so well is because I feel the same way y'all feel. When I'm going through something crazy, in my mind, I know, you know what, there's somebody else in the church that feels the same way I feel, going through what I'm going through. They have crazy moments, they get depressed, they know what it's like. We feel the same things. I don't want to just tell you what to do. I want to say, listen, I feel what you feel. I know what it's like to go through this. I know what it's like to have this pain. I'm feeling you. Are you with me on that? Okay, point number two is this. They challenge students. But, But there's an order. You can't start challenging and correcting and convicting and controlling. You can't do this until you first, until you first show your compassion. You can't just correct, 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 correct your kids. you got to let them know that you love them. Ephesians 4.11, Christ himself gave gifts. The apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Here's why. So we won't be little babies anymore. How many of you know grown adults that are still babies because they won't learn anything? And I mean, you could tell them ten times, listen, if you will simply do this, everything will change. I don't want to hear it. They're still infants. Now, Luke 2.46, this is amazing. They found the boy Jesus in church sitting with teachers, asking them questions, listening to them. Everybody who heard the questions he asked were amazed. So people say, well, why do I need a pastor? Why do I need a teacher? Well, Jesus needed one. In fact, the greatest teacher of all time was taught for 30 years before he ever taught anybody else. Taught for 30 years. But now when people say, why do I need a teacher? Why do I need a pastor? The real question is this. Why don't you just ask Jesus that? Because it says he gave them to you as a gift. So when you think, you know what, I don't need a teacher in my life. I don't need a teacher for my marriage. I don't need a teacher for my finances. I don't need a teacher for my attitude. Here's what you're saying is, God, you know what, I'm going to return the gift. I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't need it. So I'm giving you back this gift that you've put in my life. Uh, I believe the reason we need teachers is because we can die from something called destination disease. Destination disease is when you've reached a certain level in life, a certain age. Sometimes it's 21, sometimes it's 40, sometimes it's 65, or you've reached a certain level in your success or whatever it is, and you put your mind in neutral and you sit back and you coast and you think, you know, I don't, you know, I read that 50% of every American over the age of 21 years old will never read an entire book for the rest of their life. After 21 years old, my goodness. Destin- and wherever, wherever you get destination disease, if you don't break out of that, that's where you die. Who wants to die where we're at right now? I want to learn more. I want to be challenged more. I want to grow more. And the right teacher can always push you further than you thought you could go on your own. Uh, Proverbs 13, 4 says this, a lazy man wants things. I, you know what? I wish I had a better marriage. Okay, here's what you need to do. I don't really want to do anything. I just like wishing for it. Uh, but he has nothing, but the hard worker is fully satisfied. Man, I wish I, I wish I'd get my finances in order. Okay, here's what you need to cut back on. Nah, it's okay. I'm just going to wish. I'm just going to pray, Lord, just help the situation. And God's saying, get up off your butt and learn something, grow something, be challenged, right? Um, years ago, I was on a cruise boat, and I was maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and there was a big arcade. 
and I love arcades, and so I took my, you know, $100 in there while I was having fun, and there was this game called Stacker. It's a game where this, it just came out, this, this, this laser line, it like goes across the screen, and you have to hit the button right when it's in the center, and then if you get in the center, then the next line will do the same thing. You have to get it right above the first one. And then on and on until it gets to the top. Once it gets to the top, you win a prize. And I thought, oh, I could do this. I'm great at games. So I put my $5 in, and I played it five times, and I lost every time. Put another $5 in, played it five times, lost every time. I got up to like $35, $40. I lost every single time. While I'm playing, there was this seven-year-old girl standing next to me just watching me. When I finally got done, I thought, man, this is a ripoff. I started to walk away, and I saw her walk up to the game. I said, oh, 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 honey. I remember I said, I said, where are your parents? She thought I was weird. I thought, okay, okay, okay. Well, listen, I want to tell you, you don't need to play this game because it'll rip you off. It's not something a little kid can do. I can't even do it. Uh, you'll waste your money. You know, you need to go play Pac-Man or something like that. She looked at me like I was the craziest man in the world. She kind of shoved me out the way, and she put her money in the machine. I said, okay, little girl, you're going to lose your money. I sat there, and I watched this little seven-year-old girl. She moved her body with the movement of the laser, and she hit it at just the right time. Every single time, it got to the very top, and she won her prize. She looked at me like, yep, and she took that prize and walked away. I thought, you little brat, I'm going to show you. So I put $5 back in the machine. And I did just like she did. I moved my body to the beat of the laser, and I hit it at just the right time. I got it to the very top. I won my prize. I was so excited. I grabbed my Hello Kitty chapstick, and I walked out of there a proud man. But do you know, I had no idea it could be done until I saw that somebody else could do it. And really, that's what a teacher does. They give you more faith than you had before. They show you how to change things in life you never thought could change. We all need teachers. Teachers challenge students up to the level that they have gained relational equity. They've gained relational equity. They've gained trust. So don't think you can help somebody and change their life unless they know that you love them. And you want to understand them. You want to hear their heart. You're here because you actually want to help their life get better. Not just show how smart you are. So um, if you're a teacher, let me just give you some quick training on, on, on how Jesus taught. Especially if you're a Bible teacher. Um, I want you to write down in your notes, write, um, write grace and truth. Jesus taught with equal grace. Now, I was going to teach you um, deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning, which is a really cool thing. But my, my wife's eyes started to glaze over when I told her about that part. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it a different way. Um, so we're going to do grace and truth. Now, grace, next to grace, you can put the word, um, uh, let's see, you can put the word delivery. Next to grace, delivery, delivery. And then next to truth, you can put the word content. Okay? So Jesus always taught with equal grace and truth. Everybody say equal. equal. Now see, some pastors, they'll teach more with grace and less truth, and you feel good, but you don't learn anything. And then there are speakers and teachers who teach with all truth, you learn a lot, but it's so boring, you don't come back. So Jesus was equal grace. He spent equal time, and I spent equal time on delivery as I do my content. Let me show you a scripture. John 1.17, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And the greatest one-liner of grace and truth in the whole Bible is the woman caught in the act of adultery, John 8.11. Jesus said this, I don't condemn you. There's truth. Now watch grace. I'm, I'm sorry. Grace is, I don't condemn you. Here's truth. Don't do it anymore. 
I don't condemn you. There's truth. I don't, I don't condemn you. I love you. I have grace for you. I want you to get to heaven. I am not here to harm you. I'm not here to punish you. I'm here because I love you. Now, here's truth. Don't do it again. So, so you might say the content, the content of the message is, I don't condemn you. I did not come here to condemn. I came here to save. That's the content. The delivery is, but listen, I love you, and, 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 and don't do it. So I want you to see in a sermon, if you spend all your time working on the content, you'll bore people. Uh, the delivery, you have to have something that's funny, you have to have something that's meaningful, you have something that, that grips their heart, and then when you tell them a story about a little girl playing an arcade game, and you make fun of yourself, and you got Hello Kitty Chapstick, then you can say, listen, you're lazy, and you need to do more, and God's not pleased with the way you're, and you're like, you're right, you're right, God, is that, you had to change, because I love Jesus. You have to do equal delivery, so um, think about a teacher as, 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 a, as a chef, right? If you go to a restaurant, and if the food is very nutritious, and it's very, very good for you, but it doesn't taste good, you're not going to come back. That's a lot of content. That's a lot of content. But if you eat fast food, it tastes really good, right? That's grace. That's delivery. Fast food, but um, after several years, you'll realize you're not getting healthier. And so when you watch a, a, a teacher or somebody on TV, um, if it's all grace, if it's all excitement and enthusiasm, uh, Jesus loves you, um, you're going to feel so good but you're not going to learn anything. But if you watch a teacher that's all about truth and all about content and here's what the Bible says, you, you might learn something, but you're not going to come back because that's that. that you, see, fast food tastes good, but it's not good for you. Nutritious food is good for you, but it doesn't taste good. A good teacher will serve food that tastes good and it's good for you. So as a teacher, you have to learn to give them truth, but give them equal grace with it. Okay, last point and I'm done. Point number three is common sense. Um, I want you to know that when Jesus, the greatest teacher in the whole universe, taught, he did not teach the book of Revelation. He did not teach the book of Daniel. He was not teaching the book of Leviticus. You, those are great books, but you do not have to be an incredibly smart, high IQ, teaching difficult subjects to be a great godly teacher. You don't. You don't have to be able to teach calculus to be a great godly teacher unless you're a calculus teacher, okay? So Jesus taught very normal, practical things. He wasn't super spiritual. He never made up weird Christian lingo that people didn't understand. 90% of his sermons were under 30 minutes long. It wasn't an hour or two hours long. And Jesus preached the same topics. He preached uh, relationships, money, and eternal life, heaven or hell. That's it. 99% of Jesus' teachings were um, about relationships, were about money, were about heaven and hell. Let me just read you some of his sermons. Uh, put God first, and you'll never have to worry about anything else. That's, that's a great lesson. They were amazed at this. They thought, you know what? All the areas that I'm worried about are the areas I didn't put God first. So if, if there's an area in your life that you have all this worry and worry, worry, just go back, repent, and put God first, and you won't have to worry about it because it's in his hands. How about this one? If your friend sins against you, go to him in private and work it out. Don't go to him and blast him, and I can't believe you did this. You go to him to win him back and work it out, and you don't go to three people. Let me tell you what so-and-so did to me. You go to them in private. This is an incredible sermon. We could hear this every month of our life and still not succeed in it. If your friend does you wrong, go to him in private and work it out so that nobody even knows anything happened and you got your friend back. That's a great sermon right there. 
Matthew 13, 34 says that Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables. He did not say anything to them without using illustrations. He was a cinematic teacher. So I want to tell you a story, and I'll close with this. And this is a story that shows the compassion of Jesus. It shows him challenging us. And really, when you think about it, it is nothing but common sense. Um, there was a rich businessman who lived in Pauly's Island. And uh, he lived in Debadu, one of the nicest neighborhoods around. He had two sons. His older son was very studious, very diligent, hard worker, but the older son was always kind of jealous of the younger son. The younger son, he was kind of wild, dramatic, lazy at times. When the younger son turned 21 years old, the father said, what do you want for your birthday? And he said, I want my inheritance. And the father said, but son, uh, I'm, I'm going to be around. I'm still alive. I'm here to help you succeed in life. You don't need that till I die. The younger said, I want it now. It's my birthday and I want it. The father said, okay, I, I just don't think it's wise. I want it. Okay, so he pulled out his phone and he transferred him his entire inheritance right then and there. This younger son took that money and he flew to Las Vegas and he made some quote unquote new friends, you know. Started spending money on them, taking them out to eat, Michelin restaurants left and right. Started hanging out with prostitutes, doing some drugs, gambling a lot. He ended up losing everything he had but about $20,000. He said, I'll win all this back. So he put $20,000 on red and it stopped on black and he lost everything. His fake friends walked away from him. He had no money for food. They were kicking him out of his hotel. So he pawned his Rolex watch and that got him through another few weeks. After that, he pawned his cell phone, and that got him through a few days. He ended up with nothing, had nothing, didn't know what to do with his life. His inheritance is blown. He feels horrible. So he's walking towards a McDonald's, hoping that somebody would maybe give him some food because he hasn't eaten in days, and no one's giving him any food. He's standing there nasty, hasn't showered in three days. He ends up walking to the garbage can behind McDonald's. He opens it up, and he pulls out a half-eaten cheeseburger, and he sinks his teeth right into it. As he's sitting there eating food out of a garbage can, it starts to rain on him. And he has the thought, the lowest employee at my dad's company back in Myrtle Beach has it better off than I do. I'm going to go home and beg and plead that my father will at least let me be the janitor in his business. I'll be glad doing that. So he kind of begs for money for the next few days, gets enough to get a bus ticket. He takes buses all the way from Nevada, all the way back to South Carolina. The whole time, the whole ride, day after day, he has this napkin that he got out of the dumpster in McDonald's, and he's writing an apology letter to his dad on this little napkin. Every day he's thinking, okay, I was the worst son I could possibly be. I did something so stupid. Please forgive me. I'm so grateful for everything you and mom did for me. I don't know why I did this. I'm an awful son. Would you please take me back? Please, please, please. I love you. Please. Has this whole letter worked out. When he finally gets dropped off at the bus stop in Myrtle Beach, he has no phone to call anybody, so he starts walking home. Takes him six and a half hours just to get to the front of his neighborhood. He finally turns the corner, gets on the street that his house is on. He sees his house about 50 yards down the way, and as he's walking, he's so nervous, he's so discouraged, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He sees the porch light come on. He thinks, that's odd. All of a sudden, his father, wearing a $3,000 suit, 
and a thousand dollar pair of shoes comes running out of the house. The 65 year old man is running in his suit and jacket down the way, down the street, and the son sees his dad and he just starts to brace for the punch. And when his dad gets in front of him, he grabs him and he bear hugs him. He spins him around and around and around. He says, son, I'm so glad you're home. The son says, oh, dad, don't touch me. I'm disgusting. Dad, i got to read you something. And he puts his hand in his pocket. Father says, no, 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 don't read anything. i got to show you something. He grabs his arm. He pulls him into the house. He takes him upstairs to his bedroom. He says, son, I got you a brand new bedroom suit. Do you like it? The son says, yes, Dad, I like it, but i got to read you something just real quick. The father says, no, 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 i got to show you something else. He takes him downstairs to the garage, and inside is a brand-new Corvette with a bow on top. He says, son, the day you left, I bought this for you, just waiting for you to come home. Do you like it? So he says, Dad, yes, I like it, but I have to read. Please, just let me read you this note. The father says, hold on one more second. I got to text my friends. And he texts these guys from church. There's a thread in his short group. And he says in Luke 15, 24, my son that was lost has now been found. We're going to have a party. The son finally says, Dad, you have to let me read my note. And the father says, hold on one more minute, son. And the father pulls out this long, tightened out letter. He says, first, I want to read you mine. The son says, what are you talking about? The father says, didn't you know I've been working on my welcome home speech much, much longer than you've been working on your I'm sorry speech. Jesus, the greatest teacher of all, told us that story so that we could be challenged, so he could hear our compassion. And he was the greatest teacher of all time. Man, we all have it on the inside of us to train, to teach, to guide. Are we willing to hear somebody's heart and understand? Are we willing to pour into somebody? We could change lives all by being the teachers that God's called us to be. Amen. 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 Let's go to the Lord in prayer. That is it for you today.